Hello, everyone. It is July 13th, 2021, and this is Episode 6 of More Math for More People podcast. Cheers! Hello, I'm Joel. And I'm Misty. And this is More Math for More People, brought to you by CPM Educational Program. This podcast supports middle and high school teachers with best practices, relevant research, helpful hints and tips, and anything else that randomly comes to our minds. We hope you find this podcast both entertaining and informative for your math teaching practice. Boom. So, what day is it today, Joel? It is National Cow Appreciation Day. National Cow Appreciation Day. Yeah. Hmm. Do you have anything that you appreciate cows for? Uh, well, I do appreciate cows for cheese. Mm-hmm. Though the cows don't actually make the cheese. They make the things that we make the cheese from. True. So do goats and sheep. So I also appreciate them. But for cows, I do appreciate cows. Um, I appreciate milk. Uh, well, not milk itself, but the cheese. I like milk. Did you ever have any how many cows? Did I have any cows? Yeah. Never, never growing up did I have a cow. Oh, we didn't have cows specifically. We had steer, which are a kind of cow, which is kind of one of those weird things about cows. How the, you know, the the identifier for the, you know, females of the race is also the or whatever the of the species is also the identifier for. You know, the entire species is sort of strange. Um, yeah. So we did have steer when I was growing up and we had to, my dad, my dad didn't grew up on a dairy. So he was against having cows because you have to milk them twice a day, every day, forever. And um, so we always had steer and we'd have to, my brother and I were in charge of getting up very early in the morning to feed the, feed the cows, but to feed the steer. Why would you have steer? For breeding or? Because for meat. Oh, for meat. Yeah. So they, we would raise them for two years and then have them butchered and put them in our freezer. My mom always, and we also, we also raised pigs um, and chickens. Very, we had a very small hobby farm when I was in high school. And my mom, she didn't name the chickens, but she would name the other animals, the pigs and the cows. And then it was very interesting because every year, like the week before they were going to get butchered, somehow they would, they would piss her off. And she always says, she's like, they always just piss me off the week that they're going to get butchered. I'm like, I'm sure that's no, not any kind of like actual psychological protection. <laughs> that's right. Uh, you know, thing that you're doing mother, but that's okay. It's totally, it's so interesting how they always piss you off. But I do have a, I do have a story about a very particular cow. Okay. So when I was teaching, I was really big on that. I didn't want my students, I taught middle school and I was really big on helping kids learn how to do what adults do, right? So adults, generally speaking, (laughs) don't ask permission to go to the bathroom, right? True. So you don't need to come up to me and ask permission to go to the bathroom. What you need to do is you need to learn appropriate times to leave the classroom to use, to use the bathroom or not, right? You, I agree. You, oh, you're always going to miss out on things, right? That's right. So we talked about how the first five minutes and the last five minutes, probably not the best choice because Ms. Nicola is making a lot of important announcements and things then. Mm-hmm. And so I always had a bathroom pass, right, of some kind. So the the kids would know, because I also, I didn't want like five of them out of the classroom, right? 
one person out of the classroom. So if you need to use the restroom, great. You look for the bathroom pass. And then if the bathroom path is pass is there, you're able to go come back, bring the bathroom pass back. The next person can go. If the bathroom pass isn't there, then you wait unless it's an emergency. We talked about emergencies. Right. And so, um, like, I don't want you sitting there waiting if you need to go throw up, like just go right for most of my teaching career, 15 years, the bathroom pass was this plastic cow, black and white, like Holstein cow. And so it was the bathroom cow for many, many, many years. The kids would be like, and the kids are so funny because they would like, no one's washed the bathroom cow in a while. Can I like clean it? And I'd be like, absolutely. Please go clean the bathroom cow. And they'd like wash it and all these things. And eventually at one point somewhere, probably after like 10 years, the bathroom cow just like, he had like the horns had broken off, like all kind, you know, and he, they just, the, the, I don't know. I didn't, don't know what the gender of the bathroom cow was. So they just disappeared. Like it was just gone and it was, it was never found again. And so then we had to have the bathroom gorilla, the bathroom, like other, oh, like it was all these, like it was not, so as, not fun. as cool. No, it was not as cool. It was definitely, but yeah, we had the bathroom cow for a really long time. So <laughs> I often, you know, as when you say cow appreciation day, I'm like, Oh, I had, we had the bathroom cow for a really long time. Today on the podcast, we're going to have the first uh, uh, interview that we did with Tom Strickland and Marcus Blakeney. They are uh, two classroom teachers, and they do professional development for CPM also. We had, And they're going to talk about supporting minority students, which is a, an area of focus and expertise for them, I'd say. So we had a, a longer discussion and interview with them, a conversation uh, that was about 40 minutes long. So we're going to divide it up into three separate pieces. There's not necessarily a really great like dividing stopping point. So it might seem a little unusual, but it will just, you'll know, okay, great. That's the end for today. And you'll be able to tune in two weeks later to hear the rest of it. I'm excited to hear. So instead of our usual introduction, and we just like to use a study team and teaching strategy that we call a pick three. And usually a teacher might use it to have students think about what strengths they have that they can contribute to their team. And so we thought it'd be a fun way to do introductions and icebreakers today as we get ready to talk with Marcus Blakeney and Tom Strickland about supporting minority students in the math classroom. And so Marcus and Tom are both CPM classroom teachers who presented on this topic at the CPM Teacher Conference, and they also conduct professional learning events for CPM. So Marcus, if you would tell us a little bit about yourself and what are your three strengths that you bring to the classroom to support minority students? Hello, everyone. My name is Marcus Blakeney. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, Super excited to be here today. And in terms of my three strengths that I bring to support minority students in the classroom, well, in case you didn't know, I am a black male math teacher. And so being able to relate uh, with many of my students who come from very similar backgrounds as myself is the first strength. The second strength that I bring is being able to make the content relevant to my students. And so just being aware of where they're from and how to make the math relatable. And I would say that my final strength is being trustworthy, Uh, being trustworthy in the sense of being transparent with my students and also following up on what I say. So if I say something to students, 
I have to make sure I stick to my word. And those, my friends, are my three strengths. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Marcus. And Tom, how about you? Who are you and what are your three strengths that you bring to the classroom to support minority students? Thanks, Joel. It's great to be here. It's thrilled. I love guys like Marcus. He always makes my my brain expand with good thoughts. So it's a thrill to be here. Uh, my name is Tom Strickland. I teach mathematics in Salem, Oregon. And I, I've been a teacher. I mean, this is my 21st year in education. I'm just thinking about that. I'm like, my goodness, Lord have mercy. So uh, in these 21 years, I have uh, accumulated a couple strengths that I'm excited about. I think one of my superpowers as an educator is making quick connections. I'm making connections with a wide variety of students. I'm finding common ground, I'm finding ways to enjoy the kids. And that, that's probably my other strength is I really enjoy my students and the kids see it. Like when your teacher likes you and it has fun with you, ah, right? There's a rapport, there's a, there's a trust that happens. And so being able to make connections, genuinely enjoying my students uh, is definitely a part. And I would say my, my third strength is I enjoy mathematics. Like it's fun seeing um, patterns in the world and then representing those patterns with mathematical models and then doing cool stuff. Like it, it gets me fired up. And so um, uh, those pieces, I think, allow my students to feel like, oh, okay, I can hang with this class. Like it's not going to be too bad. So my strengths, myself. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Tom and Marcus, you did a, a presentation at the teacher conference, our virtual teacher conference in February. Uh, about how to support minority students in the math classroom. And we want to, we just really want, I listened to the recording of it. I wasn't able to go to it and it was great. And so we really want to kind of bring a lot of what you talked about to our listeners and um, without the slides, unfortunately, but just to kind of go over some of the main points of what you talked about. So to start off, can you tell us why you decided to give that presentation at the teacher conference? Yeah, I think it starts with a conversation between Tom. So Tom, you you kind of want to give them the background about how, you know, what was going on in the background of your mind and, you know, how you reached out to me or what inspired you for that? For sure. So uh, the previous uh, CPM National Conference, I had the privilege of watching Marcus give an Ignite talk. And his Ignite talk, and Marcus, uh, feel free to correct me, but your title was was something to the effect of how to serve black kids in the math classroom. Is that is that what it was? It was a working title. I think throughout that, leading up to that week, it was all about, it was basically saying, you know, what do you see when you see me? You know, do okay. you see math? Do you see a science? Mm -hmm. yeah. So it's a working title of, you know, what do you see when you see me? So so I'm, I'm listening to him give this Ignite talk and my brain is just turning. So in Salem, where I teach, um, probably 70% of my students are, uh, are, are students of color mostly uh, Latinx or Hispanic. Um, I do have some black students and Asian students. Our white students are the minority in my class. And, uh, but I'm a, I'm a white male, right? And, and when they walk into my room, you know, I, I, I often wonder what their experience is like. And I want to make sure that my classroom is a, is a place for every kid to thrive and to feel like they belong. And as I'm listening to Marcus's Ignite Talk, um, it was inspiring me. It was exciting me. Um, I want to look at my students and see math, right? I want to see uh, access and, and high level achievement in each kid. And I'm thinking, man, Marcus's words, that needs to be a breakout session. 
Like this is more than a five minute piece. This needs to be something that we as a, as an organization or as a team of teachers really sit in, um, simmer in, if you will, and think through. And, and so I reached out, um, one, cause I wanted to get better at that. And, and I felt like from what I heard from Marcus, conversations with him would make me a better, a better educator. And so I approached him and was like, Marcus, I think, I think your words, um, have a lot of resonance and, and your work, um, would, would impact us. So, so I approached Marcus. I'm hoping that he would be up for creating a breakout session so that uh, so that we as an organization and, and a group of teachers could be thinking about these topics. What was that like, Marcus, when I reached out to you? I was going to say, so you'd never you'd never talked to Marcus other than you didn't know Marcus before that? Well, we worked together on the Ignite team because I was right. him seeing it. So we we had had a, a, a we've gotten to know each other through the process. I got you. Yeah, it was different because as you just stated, Tom, we had just met each other. Um, in 2019, and then you know some months that went by, and then the pandemic hit, and we're just like, okay, how can we? Oh, excuse me, we met each other in 2020. Excuse me, and then the pandemic hit, and so we had a lot of time to reflect. At the time, Black Lives Matter was going on, and so I had an opportunity to kind of reflect on my own classroom, and just to give people some background, you know, being from Louisville, Kentucky, I teach in an urban school, um, Fern Creek High School, uh, predominantly uh, minorities, you know, 12% ELL, 10% special ed. Um, and in our lower level math classes and our regular math classes tends to be a lot of minorities. Right. And I have a joke because I am black and I, I can make that joke with my kids. So I walk into my classes sometimes. I'm like, oh, a lot, of, a lot of black kids in here. Right. But I'm, I'm aware of the population that I am serving in my classroom. And I'm always appalled at how well my students succeed in math classrooms. And based on their stories and my connection to them, I was like, hmm, really? You're successful in my math class and you've never been successful before? That, that's hard to believe because I don't want to sit here and toot my own horn, but I'm like, so what am I really doing that's different or what's really going on? And so that's why I appreciate Tom for reaching out to me and starting this conversation and then developing into what our presentation was this past CPM conference. So in your presentation, you sort of talked about, you know, as a white math teacher, right? How can we support minority students? Mm -hmm. And, and as I recall, you sort of identified, you know, two problems that you talked quite mm -hmm. a bit about. Um, can you lead us through the first of those problems? Well, and I, even just the fact that you say the problem, that was something that came mm -hmm. up for Marcus and I, because you have to acknowledge if we want to make this a better situation, if we want to help kids belong, you have to acknowledge that many kids feel like they don't belong. They walk in they walk in with some preconceived notions, maybe some baggage on their own ability level, but they walk into an environment that often is taught by a, a white male. Even Marcus joking that he's a black male math teacher. The fact that we laugh, it's because they're so rare. Uh, there's none in my district. I think we have a, my, one black male uh, math teacher in our middle schools, none at the high schools in my school district. And I've got more than 100 math teachers at the secondary level in my school district. So, mm. so then... When our kids walk in, how do we how do we make it a space for them? And so, uh, Marcus, would you say that our first challenge was like that issue of belonging? Like, how do we help kids belong? How would you frame that? Absolutely. I, I think, you know, Dr. Child said last year at the keynote, you know, if you Google mathematicians, what do you see in the Google images? And you see these old white men. Mm -hmm. And as we look at the demographics of our high schools, especially of our urban districts, you know, th those the population that we serve, we just don't see ourselves as mathematicians and representation 
matters. Yeah. And so oftentimes, if, if a student can't say the answer or can't get the answer, sometimes they're shut out, right? They're, they're shut out of the conversation. Nobody wants to hear them anymore because they have the wrong answer. And, and for so long in our, in our math classrooms, the focus has just been the answer. You know, what's the answer? Oh, you got the answer. Good. Let me show you how to do this. Right. When I went to high school, let me take some good notes. Oh, I took great notes. Oh, I could do those odd problems. I could check. I could check my answers in the back of the book like a, like a whiz. But when it came time for critical thinking, that's when I shut down because I didn't have any strategies that allowed me to persevere in solving those more complex problems because they didn't match up in my notes. And, and, and for our audience out there, you remember back in your high school years of you would look at your notes, you would look at your book, and you would try to duplicate what the teacher did. Mm-hmm. And when it came time for the test, I could duplicate it. And that's what made me a good student. Mm-hmm. But as I started progressing and started figuring out, you know, what do I want to do? You know, I, I want to be a teacher. I always want to be a teacher. What kind of teacher? I want to be a math teacher. And it didn't hit me, Tom, until my senior year in college when I had a professor who was in our methods class uh, for mathematics. Mm-hmm. And it was all about questioning. Yeah, <laughs> it, it was this idea about questioning and really getting inside the student's head and seeing what they're saying and using what they say, their voice, and then popping their thinking mm-hmm. that really inspired me in the early stages of my career. So I didn't have the access you know, and I didn't have that sense of belonging because mm-hmm. I never felt like I could speak the way a mathematician would want me to speak in their classroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that hit me in our session as we were preparing it is Marcus getting to that place where he shared. And Marcus, I'm going to share something you shared that was important was he didn't feel that he belonged in a classroom until he had his own classroom. Wow. And and I was just like, I don't want that for my students. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to have to become a math teacher like Marcus before they belong. I want them to belong now. And so it caused me to think in terms of practice, like what's, what is the the issue then is what are we doing strategically and intentionally to build community mm-hmm. and to foster belonging for every student that this class is for you. This class will benefit you. Um, for me, uh, and it came up for both of us, the standards of math practices, the way we do math um, is so huge, right? Persevering and solving problems, making sense of problems. Man, in all of our lives, we're going to have problems, right? So where do we practice that? Math class. 99 problems. Man. <laughs> and then like defending your arguments and and and, and um, supporting the arguments of others or challenging the others. Guess what? We're going to have arguments in our life, right? Where can we practice um, that skill set in our math class, regardless of content? And And as we discussed that together, it was... We can make math incredibly meaningful. We can make it very, very connected and real. Sometimes it's less about that content, even though the content is a vehicle for doing the bigger work. Mm -hmm. And as we talk about this concept of belonging, because there could be some misconceptions about what does it mean for a student to belong? Or what is a a student of color or minority student, what does that look like to belong? I, I don't want my teacher to sit out there with their arms open like, oh, come on in, my child. Like, you belong in my heart. I reflect on my early years when I was teaching, when I was a rookie, right? When I was a rookie. And I used to do participation grades. Like, oh my God, <laughs> like, I feel bad for even saying this out loud. But part of my participation was you had to speak. You had to say something. 
you had to be a part of the learning. And I used to remember like putting like A on the board, B on the board, C on the board, D on the board. Okay, now you go up and you go write your answer on the board. Now you go up, you go write your answer on the board. Just trying to, at my early stages of my career, just trying to create that sense of belonging and let students be in control, right? I didn't know what it was called. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I just know that, you know, I can't just give notes mm-hmm. and tests and practice problems. I wanted my kids involved in the learning. And of course, going through all my professional development and, you know, learning about the CPM curriculum, I started to fine tune that. But early on, Tom, you know, mm-hmm. go to the board and speak. Oh, how'd you get that answer? Okay. How'd you like questioning was weak, but I yeah. knew it had to be something to get yeah. students involved in the process. And, you know, uh, for me, one of the critical transition moments was uh, reading an article called Never Say Anything a Kid Can Say. Mm-hmm. Um, and that article, it pushed me in to rethink my lessons in terms of things I wanted to share or demonstrate to what is my series of questions that I will ask, because it's not about me explaining. It's about the kids explaining. And, uh, and, you know, and that's even, that's even pushed me. So I like the second challenge I would feel not to leave this idea of belonging, but that second challenge was the flexibility Kids come from a wide variety of backgrounds, a wide variety of skill sets. They all have prior knowledge, mm-hmm. but it's a wide variety of prior knowledge, right? They're coming in with stuff to offer, with status, though it might not be seen by all of their peers as, as a math status. So how do I use my questioning? How do I create an environment where kids feel safe enough for them to take risks? But right, how can I be flexible in my approach that a very different set of kids can all find a home and make make struggle productive, right? Make it work it. Mm. And and that's powerful. You just said that, Tom, because just this past April, mm-hmm. my district returned to in person. Mm. Nice. And of course, we had to be socially distanced mm-hmm. in rows. Had to face the same way. So I was humbled this past April because mm. I had to go back to rows. How do I make direct instruction work? And so I had to really, really think, how do I create this sense of belongingness? What strategies do I have? How do I make these study team and teaching strategies work in this Mm -hmm. setting? And so what's super cool about that belonging is that every student has something to say. Yeah, You might be correct. You might be wrong. But whatever you write on that paper, be ready to speak to it. And Tom... Mm -hmm. My pacing was slower this year since I returned yeah, in person. Me too. Was slower me too. because you got to give kids the think time. They got to have time to think. Yeah. And then they need time to speak, but they mm-hmm. need the time to be able to listen to others, yeah. see another student's work. And I just reflect over the past six weeks. It's like, okay, you go to the document camera. All right, mm-hmm. everybody stop. Look mm-hmm. at what they have. Look at what you have. Look at what they have. Okay, what do you agree with? What do you mm-hmm. disagree with? And kids be up there with wrong answers. They'd yeah, be up there yeah. with God knows what. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But everybody was speaking to the math and everybody was mm-hmm. making sense of the math. And then all I had to do was say, okay, who now agrees with this solution or who now agrees with yeah. what we're saying? And to watch students respond to that. And I don't, you know, with a class of eight to 10 students, mm-hmm. I don't know if, if, if it's making a difference until probably next year or the year after. But I had to go back to say, I cannot. Just sit here and give no. and expect students to belong or expect to develop this culture of learning because I have to go to those principal values of what it means mm-hmm. to be a good math teacher or effective math teacher, excuse yeah. me, uh, in order to have an effective classroom. So 
I had to go back and yeah. realize like, how do I do this? Because I'm used to doing it with teams. I can do it in my sleep, mm -hmm. but to do it with a rose in a mm -hmm. social distance classroom with no technology, like no laptops, no Jamboard, no nothing. It's like, yeah. okay. Woo. I hear you. What's, what's been powerful for me, my, my class has been very similar, Marcus, is mm -hmm. thinking about, okay, how do I need to be flexible? But how do I also, when I have rapport and trust, right? When I, when, the, when I work to make belonging, I need to take that and push. Like I need to be a warm demander, right? I need to say, hey, kids, I, I, you have something to say. I had a kid last week write me a note on his assignment. I do not like your class. You are loud and obnoxious. I can't believe he said that. But he oh, did. man. And then he gets to the real nitty gritty. He says, you make us turn and talk to our partners. And I don't have anything to say. Hmm. And then he told me a little bit about his history. And it made me think, okay, I see what's going on. He sees uncomfortable with the turn and talk. Um, even though I've always given them the chance, it's okay to turn to your partner and say, here's my guess. I'm not sure. Like that's, that's, that's an equitable, um, that's a, that's a fine response. Mm -hmm. um, but I want this kid to know that I believe he does have something to say. And so I'm even thinking now, how am I going to write him a note in response and saying, I know it's frustrating. I'm going to support you. I'm not going to leave you hanging to, you know, alone or to dry, but you do have something to say and practicing saying that even though it's uncomfortable, that's, that's a bigger learning experience. Mm -hmm. um, and so giving kids times to think in ink, right? Think and ink. And then we have sit six feet apart in our class. We do the lean share. So you stay <laughs> in your seat, but they're all wearing masks. And I was like, okay, you're only going to be within six feet for less than a minute. So it's legal. It's okay. We have approval. And then they lean towards each other and then they share. And you know, what has been effective for me, Marcus, is structured shares. So the first person, I think blank because blank. Mm. Like, what is it? And what's your reason? And then the second person, either agrees or disagrees. I agree or disagree because blank. Mm -hmm. So we are, we are looking to support our claims mm -hmm. and then we are either agreeing and, and making it stronger. We're either agreeing and fortifying your thinking or we're disagreeing and challenging it academically, like learning the language. Like there is other ways we can have arguments without getting angry at each other, right? Yeah. We can have disagreements and, and, and make it about a learning dialogue. And I have found that's effective. And just with those simple frames, rather than just saying, talk, discuss this with your neighbor, and then they turn and they're like, rah, 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 rah. And the, the language is not very deep. <laughs> but I think blank because just that frame, they're using better academic language. And then the other person is giving reasons. And so um, I feel you, right? Figuring out how to do discourse and how to defend your ideas or challenge ideas when you're sitting in lines, right? It's, <laughs> I hear you, man. It has definitely been a challenge to do it, but I'm glad that you and I are sitting here sharing these strategies because it's what we believe to be successful mm -hmm. for our students, no matter the situation mm -hmm. that we're in. And, yeah. and that it's, it's a struggle. So it's not easy because you are sacrificing your pacing. Yeah. But it's all about that learning and that essential learning for the students to get through to the end of the course, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, mm -hmm. it's true. I love the strategies and the things that you're talking about and the, the struggles that you've had and how you've addressed them and thought about them and kept to those philosophies that you really believe in mm -hmm. about collaborative learning and, and the problem-based, you know, learning pieces of it and connecting those together, mm -hmm. even in different situations. And as I, as I listen to this, it's interesting because I, I hear you talking about things that, that really sound like what every classroom would be doing, hopefully, right? Yeah. 
Thank you, Tom and Marcus, for being here and having this uh, really important conversation with us. And as Marcus said, I'm just glad we can all be here together and talk about all of these issues together, because that's what's really going to help our students. So this was the first of our three-part series. Join us next episode for part two of that three-part series. For more information and to stay connected with CPM happenings, you can find CPM on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our intro music is one of the very talented contributions that you can find on pixabay.com. Thank you, Julius H., for your creation. Join us for the next episode of More Math for More People. What day will that be, Joel? It'll be July 27th, and it'll be National Creme Brulee Day. And I love a good creme brulee. And just the other night, I had a creme brulee pound cake that was so delicious. I liked it because of the pound cake. It actually was a little bit lighter than traditional creme brulee. And my daughter's favorite dessert is creme brulee. So every time that we go to a restaurant, she's got to get creme brulee. I tried making